0: How are we doing this morning? If you have a Bible, you want to turn to John 16. That's where we're headed. John 16, it's kind of like a sweater morning with coffee in your hand or hot chocolate or something of that nature, right? Well, um, we are continuing in our series in John, the Gospel of John, which... If you've been with us for any length of time, you've seen uh, this picture. Really, one of the things that we're trying to articulate is uh, a biography of Jesus. So, as we've been walking through the Gospel of John, we've seen that Jesus is on the scene. He's been doing lots of different things in the name of what the Bible calls the kingdom of God, Um, and we... Uh, get to what we've been looking at the last several weeks is what I'll call this red-letter discourse. If you look in your Bible, if you go back to John 13, you'll see that from John 13 to John 17, it's just all red, right? Which means what? Jesus is on the scene, and he's talking a lot. Okay, And what we've taken weeks to cover really has happened in a matter of hours. In a small room, second story room, um, in a home, what's known as the upper room discourse. Jesus is literally in the final 24 hours of his life. And here he's interacting with his disciples. And this, as we've said before, and we're going to key in big time today, is this. It's a very confusing time. For the disciples. They're trying to navigate. What is Jesus saying? What is he doing? What is going on? They're trying to navigate all these different things. Um, and here's what I think Jesus has been giving them from 13 to now. He's been giving them anchors. Solid holds that, hey, when, when, when you're confused, these are things that you hold on to. Okay, so let's, let's run through those a bit. If you want to kind of look back. Um, at 13, and just kind of flip through pretty quickly, um, but but in 13, we see Jesus models servant living. He models this this humble living, humble attitude, humble state before his disciples. And then he also talks what families never want to talk about is what it looks like when your own betrays you. What it looks like, then people that are closest to you, that you do life with, begin to neglect and betray you and how you react to that. He begins to talk about some of those things. And then we see that Jesus comes, comes in, in 14. He says, when you're confused, when you're unsettled about the events that are about to take place, he's talking to his disciples, he said, don't lose sight of this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, so he anchors them back there. When you're unsure and you're drifting here, I'm gonna an- I want to anchor you here. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Okay, and then he continues on. He's like, you got to trust me. you got to believe me, but you can't. You will fail at that. You're horrible at trusting me. In fact, so horrible that I'm going to do it for you. You just got to throw yourself at my mercy. And I'm going to put myself in you because you can't do it. You can't live the Christian life. In fact, there's only one person who's ever successfully lived the Christian life and they named the thing after him. Some of you got that. Some of you are like, huh? More coffee around here somewhere? I need a blanket. It's cold. And then he goes to John 15. What happens in John 15? It's the classic text of Jesus anchoring his disciples back to the reality of you need me so much so that if you fail to abide in me you're gonna die he's anchoring them back abide in me it's the only way to live you were created to abide in me so much so that your joy is directly connected to it like you abide in me here's the goal of you abiding in me that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full that's that's the middle of John 15. And then we get to John 16. What happens in John 16? He says this, your joy isn't some self-manufactured, like we got to jump through these hoops and do these certain steps and push these certain buttons so that in the end we're like, woo No. It's a spirit wrought work of God in you. And then we get this crazy verse. Look at verse 20, 1620 says, you will weep. Okay, talking, know the context. Talking about the disciples. Jesus speaking to the disciples. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Okay, so they're trying to get their picture around all this really confusing stuff that Jesus is saying about what's to come in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And he says these words, you're going to weep and cry your eyes out, but the world will. Is gonna celebrate. Here's why. Picture it. What's happening when Jesus is being flogged? The, 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 everyone's, everyone's yelling, crucify him, crucify. They're rejoicing at the reality of what's happening. When Jesus is up on the cross, the crowds are gathering around him and celebrating the death of this man. And you have the small family, the disciples, and the, and the family of Jesus that are gathered around the cross weeping. And you have the disciples and the family that are trying to make sense. They're trying to piece together all the things that Jesus has said, all the the ways he's described, what's going to happen. They're trying to piece all this together. It's really confusing. But they're like, they're weeping. They're lamenting. Meanwhile, others are laughing and rejoicing at the demise of Jesus Christ. But here's where Jesus lands in John 16. He says, you won't stay there your sorrow will turn to joy okay so here's so that's kind of the the red letter discourse that we've been in so it's happened in a couple hours but we've spent weeks on it and here's really what i want to hammer on today is this reality that in confusing times we need anchors In confusing times, we need anchors, words and truth that aren't just like these surface band-aids that just help for the moment, but something that literally drives deep into our souls and deep into reality, that when our foundation is shaking, that we're like, what is going on? We need to know more than anything that Jesus is still on the throne, and in the end, we win. Okay, so I just spilled the beans because that's exactly, I could say, let's pray. That's the end That's the, the end goal, the all of my sermon. Um, I, I remember as a kid, I went fishing all the time with my dad. We had this ranger bass boat, and uh, we'd be fishing in the middle of some ginormous lake. Typically, it was like Lake of the Ozarks, 4th of July, right? And we're in this little boat, and we're like, you know, being washed to and fro, and like we're almost capsizing and all this stuff. And, and so uh, we'd be out fishing, not really in the main channel where we're going to capsize, but we'd be out fishing, and there'd be a decent wind. And I remember my dad telling me, uh, hey, we need the anchor. And so I'm like, what do, you do with, just, what do you do with this? So we'd reach into this compartment in the boat, and, and this, this anchor that I couldn't even really lift. And it was all rusty and disgusting and gross. And we'd pull it out and we'd, you know, set it on the boat. And he'd, he'd go to throw it over. And attached to it was this ginormous rope that was so super long. And we'd throw that thing in the water. And, and as a kid, I'm just like, like where's it going to go? Like, I don't, you know, I don't really have much context for what's happening. And, like, it just disappears into the water. And all of a sudden, like, the rope's like, just like... It's flying out of the boat, flying out of the boat. And then before you know it, all of a sudden, the rope tightens. The anchor hits bottom. It locks bottom. And then the boat kind of grabs. And so we're no longer drifting in the water, but now we're anchored. Instead of being thrown into the shore over there, we're fixed. And we're able to to fish and do what we're there to do. Here's the truth. When you're confused about life, you need some anchors to go to. You need something to go to. You need something to hold on to. I need something to hold on to. Two specific instances in my life that were just very confusing times for me. Um, I was in college, and I got a phone call from my mom saying she had cancer, like, when that happens, and you, some of you, you like, many of you have experienced different traumas in your family, different traumas in your life, like, when, when a parent goes down, right? You know what I mean? Like, you don't know what to do. Because for all of, like, mom, okay? Most of you know what picture of mom, like, it's mom. Like, like I don't survive without my mom. Okay? Like, I don't eat much, much good without my mom. Like, my laundry doesn't get done without my mom. Like, okay. And I get a phone call. Here's what the doc says, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, like, I'm just confused. Like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to process Like, here's mom who used to, you know, feed me and do my laundry and shave my head when I was in high school. And, like, here now I am in her basement shaving her head. Because her hair is falling out. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to process through that. A couple years ago, my dad almost lost his life. Many of you walked me through that story, walked me with, with me through that journey. He flipped his mower over on top of himself, broke his neck, and I'm there in the, I get the phone call from my, from my sister, and I'm pulling my kids in the wagon down Riverwood Estates, and I get the phone call, and, like, you know how your kids, like, they, they, like, they'll listen to you from time to time, but then there's a time when they're, like, something's on, like, so, like, I'm, like, we got to get back, and they they didn't really fully understand. I didn't fully understand, but, like, when I said get in the wagon, like, we got to get home, like, we got to get to the car, pee hurt, blah, 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 they're, like, all of a sudden, like, everything got real tense, everything got real and I'm sprinting with a wagon to get home, because I don't know the, like, Dad flipped a mower over himself. Does he have any arms left? Is he like does he get like I don't know what that scene looks like, right? Um, so I remember we're in the ER, and my dad's just laying on the table in excruciating pain. And I literally watched the doctor go over to the cabinet, pull out a needle, and he goes down to my dad's feet, and I'm just watching and starts poking my dad in the feet, and my dad does not feel a thing. Um, like and like, I was I was like I was a mess. Like I, I he, my dad is my rock, right? Here I am getting ready to move into a new home, and like I don't I don't know, like, I don't know how to do that. Like I was confi- I didn't know how to navigate that. I didn't know how to process through that. Here's here's what I know: that when we're confused, when life is confusing, we need anchors. We need things to run to. We need things to hold on to. Now, that's where the disciples are at. That's where they're at. And I believe that Jesus, ultimately, what he's done from the, all of his life, but really from John 13 on to where we're at today, is he's giving the disciples anchors that when these next hours unfold in his life, they have something to cling to because they're not going to get it. They're not going to understand. Okay, that was a really long introduction. Sixteen twenty-five. Here's what it says. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Okay, so, so picture this. Um, finite creatures is what we are. Okay? frail human beings, okay? Most of you are far more brilliant than me, but we all have frail, broken minds, okay, that we can't fully conceptualize. We can hardly conceptualize the things of God, right? Okay, so Jesus, what he's doing in all of his life is he's trying to speak in a way that finite, broken human beings can, like, understand to bring the divine down to earth, okay, through what's called parables. Okay, so in last, in the previous text, early in John 16, they're all confused. They're like, what are you saying? Like, you're going to go, and then you're not going to go, and then you're going to be here, and then you're going to be there. And like, fully not grasping what's going on. And he says, the hour's coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech. Okay, um, have, you ever, have you ever communicated through a translator? Okay, it's, it's somewhat entertaining and somewhat frustrating because you're like, I just wish I could just talk to you, but I can't talk to you. Like, I can shake your hand, I can wave, I can smile at you, I can eat your food when you hand it to me, but I really can't say much of anything to you except hello and thank you. They teach you those words. Right? Um, so you speak through a translator. Have you ever spoken through a translator and you say, like, four words and they say, like, they translate it through, like, four sentences? <laughs> and you're just like... They just say, you know, I think you misunderstand. Like, no, like, okay, so it gets. There's a level to which it gets lost in translation. Okay, so picture this: Jesus comes on the scene. He begins to unpack the realities of the kingdom of God to finite human beings, and they're like, "Huh? Okay, that's that's what's going on here." Um, Look at this passage; it'll be up on the screen in Matthew 13. Talking about this idea of why this happens, Jesus speaking in figures of speech, 13:10 says, "Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables?" And he said to them, "To tell you, it has been given uh, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given for to, one, for to the one who has more will be given." And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Israel, or Isaiah, is being fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull... There's a level to which understanding eternal realities is a gift from God, okay? Um, There's many things about this passage that I could could begin to unpack right now that I don't understand, that baffle me, that confuse me, that like I, I don't even want to claim, right? That I struggle with. But at the end of the day, like, is it my role to just hold on to the things that I like and don't like? And, or is it my job to say the Bible is the truth, okay? So here what we see is we see God setting up the reality of, of election. We see God setting up the reality that faith is a gift from God. And where God doesn't grant the ability to have eyes open to see the truth of himself, we'll just be fumbling around with low-level human understanding that can never fully conceptualize divine realities. Okay? And here in a second, I'll unpack this more. But when, when your life is confusing, the worst thing you need is an easy, easily explainable understanding of God. We'll leave that there, and I'll come back to that in just a second but the truth here is that we see is that god's in complete control and we're called to be faithful we're called to see that faith is a gift from god understanding who god is so when you read the bible and you don't understand something do you know what you should do is beg god to give you the understanding because he can grant you the ability to understand. God's the one who put his Holy Spirit in us so that we can understand the truth, hear the truth, know the truth, grasp the truth. And here, even for the disciples, on many levels, they were, they had the ability to understand because God granted them that. God showed them things that he didn't show others. Verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name. So the, the text that you've noticed is talking about this new day, like this new era, this, this like change of, of kingdoms of sorts, this change of reality it says, in that day you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Here, here's the, I think, the, the biggest reality that, that's being unpacked presently is this truth right here. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Like We've experienced that all over the place, right? Okay, so up to this point, all that we know, that we look back on to the past realities, the disciples... What were they doing? It was all, like, prophetic. It was all like, here's what's going to happen. Right? Here's, here's how my death is going to take place. I'm going to leave you. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to ascend to heaven. Here's how it's going to work. And they're just like, "Like, what are you talking Like, I'm confused. Like, I don't understand. And there's a level to which, like, they didn't have the Gospels to read like you and I do. Right? Hindsight's 2020, you can get past it and look back and say, okay, I, I'm beginning to see some things, okay? Apart from that, it's just a theory. The idea of Jesus dying on the cross and raising again and ascending to heaven was just a theory. Now it was prophetic, and many believed that it would be fulfilled because it was the words of literally God. But for many, it was just this idea, just this theory. That they didn't really know would be a reality. Um, it's kind of like like marriage, okay? Like when you're when you're engaged, like you like read books on marriage, and you like talk to people about marriage, and you like go marriage premarital counseling, and they unpack like here's what you should be careful of, here's what you should work on, blah 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 blah. And you have this picture going into it, but like ten years later. Like I didn't have a clue, right? Like I thought. Here, here's what it looks like. Here's here's what it looks like to love someone. Do you know what? You faithfully journey with someone to love them for ten years, and then you'll figure out what it looks like to love someone. But day one, you're like, "Here's what it looks like to love." Them. You're completely wrong. That's why I'm so excited about doing two weddings this uh, next summer because I'm just gonna like be like, "You don't have a clue," and here's let me fill you in. And blah, blah. <laughs> You think you love them? Like, yeah, right, here we go. Let's talk. Okay, it's just a theory. It's just this idea that, like, we think we can, like, listen, we're brilliant in unpacking, like, plans, right? You ever have that? Like, you you have this idea, and you're like, here's how it's going to work, and here's how it's going to look and then you get there, and you're like, oh, that wasn't anything like I thought it'd be, right? It's just this theory until you get there. And you press in, you journey in the thing. Okay? Or we could even talk about what it means to be a Christian. Okay? Um, I, I look at things that I know and understand about who God is now. That, like, listen, are fundamental to my understanding and my faith. That when I when I was early on as a Christian, like, I didn't have a clue, right? But here's the truth. Isn't that how it should be? Like, isn't that part of what pressing into the Lord is like you begin to navigate and journey in a way where you begin to learn life and learn who he is and what he's called you to so that you get to the point of maturing in the Lord and look back and be like, gosh, I was so dumb last year. Yeah, it's called spiritual growth. It's called growth on any level, right? In any profession or any that you should be able to look back and say, I, didn't have a, I really didn't understand my job at all, but now I understand so much more now. I mean, you guys can apply that to the workplace. I didn't have a clue what it meant to be a parent. Throw four kids in my house? Okay, now I'm, well, maybe not, but uh, <laughs> okay. But that's part of it so for the disciples it was just this theory that left them thoroughly confused even though it was packed with the words of Jesus trying to explain to them but what he's doing is he's trying to give them these handholds and so Jesus is saying that in the literally in the next 24 to 72 hours all this talk is going to become reality for them all the symbolic language is going to make sense because here's the truth, in confusing times we need anchors. Um, several years ago, I had the awesome opportunity and scary opportunity to ride in a race boat. Okay, now, um, this is, this boat, I don't know how fast we went. We went at least 100 miles an hour. And 100 miles an hour on water is insane. 100 miles an hour on the gland is, is insane, I'll say, because I've done that too, but like, some of you are like, that's not even fast, right? Um, but on water, it's just, ridiculous. Okay, so we're in this, like, double hull, this ginormous boat, and it has, like, like, three, like, I don't know, 200 horsepower engines on the back, and, and, like, so we sit down, and in front of every single seat was this big old handle right here, and you better believe those handles were well worn, and, uh, And so we we took off, and and this boat is like, I mean, holy cow. And you better believe we're clinging to that handle with everything that we have. Okay. Um, God help us that that handle would rip out of the boat, because we would be done, right? I mean, think about that. Think about that. Like, we're literally dependent upon two things. One, that handle staying in place— and two, the ability of ourselves to actually hold on tight enough to not fly out. That handle can stay in place all at once, but if I don't have hands to grab it, then I'm in trouble. But if that handle is held on by, you know, some plastic screws, then I'm equally in trouble, right? Um, Here's the thing. In confusing times, we need handholds. We need anchors to grab onto, and Jesus... He gives his guys no better anchor than, than this. Look, at, look at back at 26. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, and because you have loved me and have believed that I came from you. Now, did you notice something there? There's an emphasis that you often see in the English language where it says, the Father himself. Like, why why is that word necessary? Could could it not just say, the Father loves you? No, it's drawing an emphasis to the fact that the Father himself, why? Here's why. Okay, we know Jesus to be a mediator, right? Jesus came to this earth, lived the perfect life, died the, the perfect death, rose again, or the most brutal death, perfect in the sense of it saving us, okay, ascended to the Father so that he could be our mediator, so that he could plead our case before his holy Father. Okay, now, we can say we know the famous person, but when you know someone that knows someone that knows someone that knows someone that knows the famous person, you don't really know the famous person. Okay? So, here's what Jesus is doing. Just a chapter before, he talked about I'm going to the Father on your behalf. Now look at what he says here. I'm not doing that. I do not say to you that, that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Why? Because here's what he's saying. You have complete access to the Father. You have complete access to the... Does that mean Jesus isn't a mediator? Does that mean he isn't pleading your case? No, it doesn't mean that. That's very true. Okay? But Jesus is saying... That the truth and the reality for you and me and post-resurrection for the disciples is this. You have complete access to the Father. Okay, now picture this. Have you ever studied the world? Have you ever studied the universe? Have you ever studied the expanse of the universe? Have you ever have you ever realized how small and insignificant one little person on one little pale blue dot earth really is? To think that the God who spoke everything into being will look me in the eye and say, you have complete access to me through the work of my son. And listen, that's an anchor for the disciples. That's an anchor for you and for me. That in the, the moment that there's confusion, we come back to this reality as God is God. And he loves me, and it isn't like he's this distant reality that only like you go, you know, through this person to through, like you have access. You don't go through a pastor, you don't have to go through a priest, you don't have to go through like some more spiritual person, like you have direct access to the Father. Because of what Jesus has done. But here's what's here's what's crazy. You're not dependent upon your ability to hold the handle. Because you know what? You take that boat fast enough and you go on some of the craziest enough waves, you're not going to be able to hold on. And you know what? The anchor that Jesus is giving the disciples and the anchor he's giving you and he's giving me is this truth not that God loves you because you love him. That's not what it's saying. Because we know the reality. We love because he first loved us. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave that whoever believes will have eternal life, right? Listen. Some of us we spend so much effort. I gotta hold on. I gotta hold on. And you know what? God's like, I got you. Where you can't. Like, where you're thoroughly confused, you don't understand. Here's the incredible thing. God's love is preeminent for his children. And it's not contingent upon their love for him. So, like, I just speak over whoever that needs to be this morning, all of us, but particularly those who just, you have not had much affection for the Lord. Maybe you haven't been walking with the Lord Maybe even coming here this morning has been this like, okay, like I got to don the doors of a church. Like, first of all, I just say, I'm so glad you're here. There's no safer place to be than in this church. At least I hope and I pray that that's, that's our heart. But the truth is this. God's love and affection for you is far beyond you could ever imagine. So you know what this also plays into? If you ever wrestle with any sense of self-hatred or just how you view yourself, insecurity, do you know what? Do you know those types of thoughts that all of us probably wrestle with on some level literally take us and put us above God? The epitome of pride. What we would think are just the, like, humiliating, like, I'm, like, I can't do this right. Like, I just, you have this very small view of yourself. Literally a false humility. Okay, literally, here's the thing. God has set his affection on you. And so for you to say, I can't handle myself or love myself, is for you to say, I have some level of better than God when the holy creator of heaven and set his affection on you and on me. Listen, that's an anchor. That's an anchor. And it goes even deeper than that. Because throughout all of this red-letter discourse, one of the things that Jesus has been doing is he's been drawing attention back to who? His Father. Back to who? The Holy Spirit. Because when we look in this passage, and, and he says... For the Father himself loves you because you loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Keep reading, 29. His disciples said, Now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why I believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. So why does Jesus keep drawing attention to the Father? Here's what he's doing. He's holding up this massive picture of a Trinitarian God. You're like, a what? The Trinity. Trinity. God the Father, God the the Holy Spirit, God the Son, three persons, one God. Okay? Complex. But as I said earlier, the thing you need most, the thing I need most when life is confusing isn't an easily explainable understanding of God. If you can unpack in two sentences who God is and that's all you got, listen, that's not going to anchor you. Do you understand that? Okay, now here, here's the beauty, is that the good news is, is that God holds you, you don't hold him. So you're not dependent upon your ability to hold that handle, we're trusting in God's ability to hold us. Okay, but as we press deeper into the Lord, our understanding of God, if God's infinite, right, completely infinite, we will spend all of eternity understanding God, Right? The truth of a trinitarian God is such that it anchors us. Because listen, I don't care what you're experiencing, I don't care what level of confusion or misunderstanding you're walking in or brokenness or whatever it may be, relational conflict, sinful, react like listen, God is bigger. Okay? God is bigger. That's the message of a Trinitarian God. God is bigger. And the text continues. Here the disciples begin to think they understand Jesus. Right? So they're like, oh, now like, now, we understand. Like This aha moment goes on. And this aha light goes on in their head. Now you're speaking plain and not using figurative speech. Now we know you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. And here's what's crazy is Jesus basically says to them, oh, you think you believe? You think you got me now? You think you understand now? And the truth is, is what's going to happen here in just a few hours? The disciples are going to fall asleep in prayer during the darkest hours of Jesus' life. The disciples are going to, when he's being arrested, what are they going to do? They're gone. Right? So Jesus is like reminding them, pointing back to this reality that like belief, like you haven't attained it. So Maybe you've gone to church all of your life. Grew up in a Christian home, like the level to which you believe, like God has more for you. God has more for me. The understanding, if God's infinite, we can go deeper, right? It's like the difference between snorkeling and scuba diving. Like, you've been snorkeling, it's pretty cool, but if you've been scuba diving, like, snorkeling's, like, boring, and why would you ever do it? Plunging the depths of who God is. It's an anchor for your soul. And then here's the most profound one, verse 33. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Here's here's the crazy thing. That in confusing times we need anchors. And here's this one. Jesus says, I win. I I don't like I don't think I understand the weight of that. Like even as I say it, and even as I was like, you know, like probing for some type of reaction or just kind of how you like. Like, we don't even fully grasp the reality of what it means that in the end, Jesus wins. That presently, as Jeff read earlier, that we're, like, we've won. Like, we're more than conquerors in him. Like, the word trouble in that verse is the same word in verse 21 that's used about childbirth. The word anguish. In this world, you will have anguish. And gosh, I've seen anguish. A natural birth. I've seen Like, unbelievable, okay? Pain and sorrow and hardship. Like, here's the deal. I don't need to, I don't need to unpack tribulation for you. Trials in life. Like, can you just, can, I don't understand. Can you unpack that a little bit more? I'm not, tra- no. Like, you get it. We get it. Here's the, here's the, here's the anchor. I win. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. Literally means have courage. The the number one most repeated command in all of Scripture is this command, do not be afraid. The number one command from the front to the back, do not be afraid. Why? Because he wins. Because we've won the victory in Christ and here's where we have to be careful. Is this? The truth of the victorious reign of Jesus Christ is not this universal reality for all that exists presently. Because notice what Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Okay so what does that mean? It means that for the person that runs to Jesus Christ with the understanding of their brokenness, of their sinfulness, of their utter wretchedness before a holy God and gets on their faith and face and confesses that brokenness and that his need for God to save them. Listen, and your sin is destroyed and defeated and death becomes not death but a shadow then the reality is that you can find peace, real peace, and you can join the winning side. That's the truth. That's the truth that we sit under this morning. So I'll just ask you this. What are you anchored to? Do you have, do you have anchors? Like when, when you're confused, you don't understand, and you're just, what are you anchored to? When the challenges of life happen, what are you holding on to? And are you depending upon your ability? Your ability to hold on, to cling tightly? Because that's the hope this morning, is that, that we win, that we're victorious in Christ. That in Christ we have the victory. The writer of Hebrews says that hope is the anchor for our soul. Not a confident expectation or not a, not a curious will this happen but a confident expectation in the person and work of Christ. Let's pray. God, I beg of you this morning that you would awaken us I got to beg this morning that you would awaken our hearts that you'd gift us with faith that you'd show us where we're running to anchors that won't hold where we're finding that we're just holding tightly to money or tightly to this relationship or tightly to something working out or tightly to our health as if that's going to anchor us. And God, where all of us can easily identify areas of our life where we're clinging tightly to something being successful, something going well. Far above, we're clinging tightly to you. But God, I thank you that you hold us that we aren't dependent upon our own strength to hold us to hold on to you but you hold us god would you uh, stir in our hearts i thank you for your grace it's in christ's name amen